0: Hello, everyone, and happy holidays. Thanks for tuning in to History Factory Plugged In. I'm Jason Dressel, and it's here. We are finally in the last last, final stretch here of this god-awful year. Let's hope we haven't experienced the tone of the 2020s, or let's face it, it's going to be a a long decade. But I I don't think so. I'm, I'm optimistic, and I've been encouraged at how we've seen so many organizations and individuals step up this year and really sort of demonstrate, you know, the, 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 the best of the human spirit. And, and today we're going to celebrate some of those stories as well as share some of our favorite holiday stories from throughout history. So I have a special guest joining me today. For those of you who are familiar with it, with me today is Sarah Egan, History Factory curator and curator of the popular Sarah's Friday email that millions of loyal subscribers well maybe not millions but but lots of folks receive Sarah's Friday email in their inboxes every Friday or as we at History Factory call it SFE Sarah has also been the lead curator of the COVID-19 Corporate Memory project which you can find at c19corporatememory.org and for those of you who listen regularly to the podcast you know that earlier this year History Factory launched this project to capture in real time the history being made by businesses responding to the pandemic. And Sarah has been one of the driving forces uh, throughout the year, uh, conducting the research and and curating and archiving the content on C19CorporateMemory.org. So today, uh, Sarah and I are gonna talk about uh, some of our favorite stories uh, from 2020, In terms of businesses and how they have responded and adapted in this challenging time. And we're also going to cover a potpourri of history in the vein of holiday-themed stories about business and brands. You know, nostalgia and heritage are, of course, strongly linked. And when it comes to the holidays, many of us have these nostalgic associations with brands. So Sarah and I are first going to have a conversation about the history of 2020. And then on a lighter note, we're going to have a bit of a freewheeling chat about some of the fun, favorite holiday golden nuggets that Sarah has pulled from the rich archives of the Sarah Friday email. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Jason. Good to to have you uh, on the podcast again.
1: Excited to be here.
0: Yeah, and um, you know, we'll we'll jump in with. It's been a crazy year, and as we've talked about on on the podcast, uh, we've we've been really covering a lot of the history that's been made this year. It's been impossible to be a podcast uh, focused on the the history of business and and the business of history without really embracing what. We certainly at History Factory and, and and you and many of our colleagues recognized early on was was that this was a historic moment um, that that certainly um, in the context of of certainly the companies that we work with um, you know in, in their recent history this will certainly go down as as one of their their big chapters and we're, we're having this conversation the week that the vaccine. Uh, has has been approved. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine started being shipped out uh, this week, and it certainly feels like we are are hitting a next turning point in our, our story of this pandemic. Um, but let's start maybe with just your perspective, Sarah, as being one of our, our lead curators on the COVID-19 Corporate Memory Project, and your perspective, maybe of just sort of how that, that story has unfolded over the year.
1: Absolutely. So it's been a really interesting project and it's been a really fascinating year to work on this type of project where we're really documenting history in real time. So much of the history that I typically work with or that we typically work with happens in the past, even in the recent past. um, But there's some time and distance and some space and some hindsight because you know what happened after. And when we started developing the, the COVID Memory Project site, we were very cognizant that we were documenting it in real time and that things were going to be changing and that we didn't know what was next. We didn't know what tomorrow and next week and next month were going to bring as far as information and stories and history. And so, Documenting history as you live it, I think is a little bit different of an experience than I've ever had before, but it was really fun. Uh, We launched the site in April, and even then looking back less than a month at when the world effectively shut down, the US shut down around March 15th, we really had, even then it was fascinating, having just recently lived it, to go back and read the articles and see even into February, how there there were articles there was information there was stuff out there that we just weren't wasn't top of mind every day uh and trying to capture things as they came in that felt important that we thought might be useful in the future might be comparable in the future setting some of those early priorities and making assumptions about what we would want to compare things to later on was a fascinating experience and one that now looking back over the course of the year we I think we did a decent job at. I think there are things that I wish I had been more cognizant of. I think there were things that we certainly had no way of predicting in March or April. And I think that there have been a lot of things that have evolved, and it's been fun to see how they've changed over the course of the year.
0: Yeah, and to your point, it's interesting in terms of there's been these sort of distinct little micro eras. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the things that um, that I, I don't remember, I don't think we actually necessarily have this on the COVID site specifically, but it certainly was a piece of content that a lot of us shared amongst ourselves and and got a big laugh out of, which was um, a meme of, in, in, in the future, histor- there will be historians dedicated to 2020 and then it was something like, you know, and then you'll be asked, which quarter do you specialize in? <laughs> um, and, it, it, and obviously there's been this sort of narrative arc. And as I said before, now with, um, with uh, the, there being a vaccine and the vaccine being uh, approved in the UK and, and now just in the last week here in the States, it certainly feels like we're hitting the next hinge point of the story arc, as we would say here at History Factory. But but to your point, you know, how would you characterize some of those kind of key sort of hinge points and the kinds of stories uh, that you and the team were curating in that period of like April, May versus the summer versus you know fall and now now winter.
1: Absolutely, it definitely has evolved. When we started in April, um, April and May were really about documenting the shutdown and how we had kind of looking back at how we had gotten to where we were so pulling some content from January and February the early cruise ships um, there's a couple of articles even that in April and May that were published about kind of oral histories about the days in March in mid-March when we went from oh COVID is a thing we're aware of it but all right it's fine to Knowing that we were shutting down, right? Knowing that we were in the office for the last time and to take your stuff home, and knowing that suddenly sports were canceled and schools were canceled and everything was closing, and kind of that moment in time really capturing that. So, we have obviously primary sources for that, but even some really early, almost secondary sources, articles about those stories that we were capturing at first. Uh, in the spring, it was really about the kind of products, product shortages right? The, the lack of toilet paper. And then as toilet paper came back in, bicycles and hair dye were out. And then pelotons and um, running shoes became the next thing that were super popular. And kind of watching that evolve was really fascinating in a way that I hadn't seen or read about in history before. You know, what, what's the next thing that we're going to be running out of because everyone's suddenly going to want? Um, Lots of articles, obviously, about financial loss, about job losses, about closures and shutdowns. Um, tried it. We tried to capture some bright spots as some of the companies in those early days tried to tried to benefit the community. Um, we have articles about M and M's donating candy to medical workers um, because they were passing them out as a kind of little highlight of their day. Um, we also documented some of the. Conversions and changes that companies picked up on. Um, Companies like New Balance, who Jason interviewed in our last podcast, that suddenly converted from making shoes to making masks. Some of the large manufacturing companies that suddenly were making ventilators or looking into supporting mask and ventilator production. Other companies that use their own skill set to really adapt and benefit and find a new way to benefit the community, uh, Mass Mutual, who also was on the, the last podcast talking about their health bridge and launching that initiative to support healthcare workers. Other companies that found other unique ways. You know, some of the major, major donations from large corporations. Um, we have Starbucks and Panera and other food restaurants that had closed that were taking their incoming food supplies and donating those back out to make sure that it was benefiting the community, not going to waste. So really kind of that settling into, okay, that the shutdown period. Um, as we turned into the summer, really starting to look at an early look at reopening. What is that going to be? How are we going to, is there a way to reopen? How are companies going to reopen? Um, a look at changing business plans, right? All of a sudden, uh, drive-throughs became a really big deal. And a lot of companies started looking into Reopening drive-throughs that they had closed at restaurants or businesses. Um, Headquarters buildings. We had even this summer companies announcing that their plans for building or renovating a headquarters building were on hold because now they didn't know when everyone was going to return to the office. Um, Food trends that, you know, again, demand fluctuating. Coffee went from being, you know, everyone went out to Starbucks and out to Dunkin' Donuts and some of the fast food restaurants that just launched breakfast earlier this year, suddenly were like, no one's coming for breakfast because they're not commuting to work. So that kind of shift in priorities um, was really interesting, even as early as this summer. And then starting to, even then to look at long term, um, companies thinking ahead about going online, not just in the short term, especially small businesses, but long term. And how is this going to affect the long-term sales cycle and, and business direction and is business travel ever going to come back? Because if Zoom has become the norm, do we need to have in-person meetings as much anymore, right? There's, there's a huge cost to flying in candidates for interviews that you can now do on Zoom, right? Relatedly, Zoom as one of the companies that became a household name, Zoom has been around for more than 10 years, but I don't know anybody who would ever heard of them before the shutdown happened and suddenly we were all on whatever web video conferencing service we had and looking at what the better options were. And Zoom is certainly one that has blown up and now is a absolutely a household name and everyone is familiar with it and we're having this conversation over Zoom. Yeah. As the summer wrapped up and we started looking to fall and I think all realizing it wasn't March anymore and really settling into the long term, looking ahead to what we knew was going to be a long fall and winter uh we started to document the recovery the reopening um and that didn't always look like what people were expecting we have a lot of articles that this week say one thing and next week have effectively changed their mind because messaging changed and it evolved throughout the country differently we've documented the rental car industry and how after really plummeting this spring this summer really blew up in far greater than they expected as people wanted to wanted to be able to travel again but wanted to do so in a private vehicle likewise the rv industry that had been steady for years had gone quiet this spring obviously as people stayed home but suddenly was the way to take a summer vacation uh hershey's and other chocolate companies as we got to halloween were trying to figure out how to do covid safe halloween and what those candy sales would look like. Turns out we all eat a lot of candy when we're in quarantine. Movie theaters opened, reopened, closed, reopened again, have now closed again and really evolved as a lot of them have closed, a lot of them have shifted. Uh, The movie industry itself has taken content away from theaters and we even have Warner Brothers and some of the other studios are announcing that even into next year, they'll be releasing more and more content digitally at the same time it's in theaters so what that industry will look like long term really still is a question mark so we've had a wide range of good news and bad news over the year it's not all been negative but it really has been an adventure to try to document the breadth of the business world as we've experienced covid
0: yeah it's and it, it, it's just it's amazing just to hear you run through the history of the last 8 months sarah and other than it you know kind of giving me a little bit of uh you know uh ptsd on a few things like uh interestingly enough i was in costco 2 weeks ago and i went to costco for, like 3 times over a 10 day period and they didn't have paper towels at all over those 10 days and i was definitely having like you know i was having you know um uh like a flashback from from may i was like oh no not this again um but to your point about just the, the sort of, you know, one step forward, half step back, you know, and, and, and one, one company I was thinking about as you were sort of walking through that trajectory was just, just look at the gyrations of Airbnb. I mean, this was a company that just hit the wall, like at 100 miles an hour back in March, and, you know, had this existential threat. And then, you know, as people, you know, not necessarily are opening up, but it's starting to realize that they can, you know, not everyone certainly, but that large segments of of the population can can essentially self-quarantine or live in these pods and live and work in these pods. And all of a sudden, you know, you saw Airbnb, Airbnb pivot where during a period there, they're trying to basically, you know, use their hosts as as entertainers, and doing anything they can to like stay afloat. And then again, as as people realize that, hey, wait a minute, I can live and work anywhere right now, I don't need to be in my apartment in New York or Chicago, or at my house in the suburbs, I can take a trip and my kids can, can go to school from there. You know, now, of course, Airbnb has just been exploding. And, you know, it's gone through an IPO and is being evaluated at like, Hundred billion dollars, and it's like you just look at like the, the 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 transformation of that one company in the last nine months, and it's just such a such a sort of microcosm of what we've all kind of been through uh, in terms of one extreme to another.
1: Absolutely,
0: yeah. Um, so moving off of of COVID um, to to um, to some maybe more fun and evergreen topics. Um, you are infamously uh, the namesake behind the Sarah Friday email, which has really become sort of a, an institution uh, within the culture at History Factory, and has become a a very beloved um, uh, email of content that um, that lots of our clients and friends of of the company look forward to receiving on Fridays. For our listeners, there is an internal version of that as well as then the external one uh, that that most of you, uh, if you haven't received it, you should check it out. Um, I don't know, how how would one get access to Sarah's Friday email from, from the outside, Sarah? How does that work? I don't even know how you get on that list. Do you have to know somebody?
1: Uh, in the past, you have to know somebody or you have to already be on our mailing list, but we have a link that we can share. So I think yeah. we'll be sharing that link if others want to subscribe.
0: Yeah, So if you're listening to this, if you send an email to info at historyfactory.com and say, put me on the Sarah Friday email list, we'll we'll get you on it. it.'s a It's a really fun um, fun fun uh, sort of list of content of stuff that we we curate. Um, but maybe Sarah, just sh- share a little bit of sort of the history behind the Sarah, Sarah Friday email and how it came to be and how it's evolved.:
1: Absolutely. So I've been at History Factory uh, about eight and a half years now. And when I started, we were predominantly in two locations. Uh, We had our DC office and our Chantilly facility. And soon after, several people started working more remotely. And we were realizing that we weren't able to share as easily when we found interesting things online. And we didn't really have any kind of internal newsletter or any formal way to share things. But we all have such varied backgrounds that we read different things, we come from different industries, and we were finding things that were really interesting or relevant or inspirational for our projects that we weren't really able to share. So one week on a Friday, I decided to just throw some links in an email and send it to the all staff, which could be a recipe for disaster, but worked out really well and said, hey, if you have any URLs to share, let me know, and I will just send them out at lunchtime on Friday, because Fridays usually take one of two ways. You're either cruising into the weekend, in which case, great, I've got something interesting to read, or you're cramming to get it done before the weekend, in which case, once I'm done with this, my reward is I'm going to take a minute and read something fun. And I started it as the Friday technology and inspiration email, really as a way to share the information, but also to keep myself up on the industry. I come from the museum world and while I love it and I love what I do at History Factory, there's some overlap, but there are some differences. And I was wanting to stay aware of what was going on in, in my own industry, as well as things that were relevant to anniversaries and books and History Factory kind of projects. So it started out as just a really simple email Um, And then over the years, it kind of evolved and I gussied it up and gave it some headlines and some titles. Fast forward three years ago, uh, Bruce, our CEO, and I were talking about it and he had started sharing it with friends and people he knew and he really wanted it to be shared publicly. So it wasn't just this internal secret thing on Fridays. And so we formalized it and put it into the, the newsletter look that it is today and started sending it out to our mailing list. And it's been a huge hit. Um, I have talked to a lot of people who've read it. I have client contacts. I have client meetings on Friday with people who have read it at lunchtime and wanna talk about the articles before we can talk about our project work. Um, so I've got, I've got some fans within our, within our community and our client base, um, but it, it gets a wide variety of readers. Um, I try to give us a wide variety of topics some of which are interesting to me, a lot of which are interesting to folks across our organization. Um, I get links from across the organization. Uh, My colleagues contribute a lot of the links. It's not just me. It's more me curating the links and giving us these kind of content buckets. Sometimes it's brand news. Sometimes it's random histories. Sometimes it's archives updates on the latest. Sometimes it is cool technology. Uh, Sometimes it's Happy hour, which I tend to do in the summer, which is history of various kinds of alcohol, because it's fun. Uh, it's not about history factory. We don't talk about our our work or really even hardly ever include our clients. It's really about other examples of things that I'm finding that might be interesting or relevant or inspirational to us and to our readers.
0: Yeah, and it it is a great eclectic porphyry of stuff that our our team. Shares uh, and I know that I, I share lots of lots of articles with you for it, and um, and certainly refer to it and refer to the database where we maintain all of those past articles for a whole range of things, and especially in the first year of us doing uh, this podcast, um, whereas we were sort of building out the editorial calendar for the first year. We used holidays as sort of an easy kind of foundation to sort of curate content and build an editorial calendar around the structure of this podcast. And the Sarah Friday email archive became an invaluable resource for providing, uh, providing kind of fun edutainment content um, as we got this endeavor launched. So in that in that spirit, uh, we're, we're of course uh, just a, a week out from 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 Christmas, and uh, uh, we're in the midst of of Hanukkah. Uh, my family we celebrate both, so we're just we're just all in right now on the holidays, and we've got lots of great um, holiday themed content. And I assume that'll be coming out in the next uh, in the next Friday Sarah Friday email. But what, what have been some of the what, what have been some of your favorite links? Whether it might be something more recently or maybe uh, an old, an old, old oldie but goodie, what have been some of your favorite holiday-themed uh, links that have been included in the Sarah Friday email.
1: Yeah, I I went digging to see what I what I had before, and yes, as a preview to this coming week's uh, edition. Uh, so some of the ones that have been really fun are some of them are about holiday stories. So. I had a link about why Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol. Uh, in 1843, he published the story because he was broke and he thought it would be a quick way to raise some money. Uh, it sold out in the first week. He sold 6,000 copies. In the first year, he sold 15,000 copies. So it was very popular, but he actually didn't make any money off of it and was kind of disappointed that it was so popular and yet he didn't, it didn't give him the success he had been hoping for. Um, another one that I thought was really fun was the history of the Charlie Brown Christmas special which is definitely something that my family always watched growing up um, in, it debuted in 1965 when animated cartoons were kind of new especially in evening broadcasts um, CBS saw it as a major risk they were the ones that, that promoted it first um, it was unique in a lot of ways it was a special they hadn't Run those before because in the 60s they were very locked into their regular evening broadcast and their regular schedule. They didn't want to interrupt it. They were going to lose viewers. Um, it had jazz music, it didn't have a laugh track, it included a Bible passage, it used children's voices, not trained adult actors. So there were a lot of skepticism and early reviews within the network were convinced it was gonna be a flop, but at that point they didn't have anything else to run, so they ran it. Um it turns out 15 million households tuned in to watch their flop, their so-called flop, um uh, which was about half the televisions in the country at the time. So wow. raving success. Um less than a week later they promised to rebroadcast it every year and they did up until 2001 um when ABC took over and ABC now broadcasts it annually. So something that at the time felt like a big risk and and Something totally new and different that was never going to work is now a really iconic Christmas special that no one's gonna not run every year. Some of our other links have been about Christmas cards. Um, The first Christmas card was in 1843 and was considered highly scandalous because it showed people drinking at a party. um, At the time when temperance was the big deal, and especially in the UK where it was first printed, um, that was not a topic that you were talking about or certainly not celebrating. Um, today, it looks kind of dated, but still kind of fun. Um, one of the versions sold a couple of years ago um, for just outrageous prices for some of the original first printings. Um, and Hallmark in the US has the largest Christmas card archive, as you might imagine, being one of the leading um, Christmas card or holiday card makers.
0: Yeah that that that's always blown me away. I remember that. I think I talked about that in a podcast last year for the holidays. The so much of our um sort of modern um kind of iconography for 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 the holidays here in the states are are sort of influenced by you know kind of a uh, an English uh sort of 19th century society and then of course a an American sort of 20th century especially sort of mid 20th century uh, consumer society and it, it, it's pretty pretty coincidental that 1843 you have both the first holiday card and you have the emergence of dickens a christmas carol which in so many ways sort of creates this kind of template for at least how um how you know the the u k. sort of begins to to celebrate you know Christmas moving forward. I always thought that was really really ironic,
1: absolutely. And related to the consumerism around Christmas, uh one link that I like to share every year is PNC has their Christmas price index, which is the current value of all of the items in the twelve days of Christmas song. Wow. Uh, they've been calculating that I
0: haven't the- seen.
1: <laughs> they've been calculating it since 1984. Um, the A little bit of history, the song is based on a poem written in 1780 that was then set to music. Um, so it was kind of an early, almost a drinking song type of thing, um, but has become such an iconic piece about the holidays that um, PNC decided to start calculating and used it as a measure of inflation. Um, so they added up, the cost of everything in the song of one run through the song so um, you know one of each set of items to calculate a cost and then can look at that across the years um, 2020 is really interesting the price has plummeted because of the closures um, they there are no ladies dancing there are no lords a leaping there are no pipers piping and there's no drummers drumming so you've just cut out 9 10 11 and 12 you're some of your largest dollar amounts Um, So this year, it adds up to $16,168.14 to buy everything else in the song. Um, To put it in perspective, in 2019, it was $38,993.59, but that included performances of Lords of Leaping, Ladies Dancing, Pipers Piping, and Drummer's Drumming. Um, But it's really fun to kind of see... How those, how those numbers have gone up and then dropped down in certain years and continued to climb um, as the cost goes back over about almost 40 years. Wow. So
0: I've I heard a lot of these that we're talking about, Sarah. I was not familiar with this. I was not familiar with this Christmas themed thought leadership. This is, this is a good one. Wow. Yeah.
1: It, I just think it's really fascinating to see, to put some dollars to, to put some dollars to a Christmas song seems like a really arbitrary move, but actually is kind of insightful. And so I'll I'll share this link again, and we'll have it linked with the podcast, um, where you can go back and kind of see all the different years and how they calculated. Um, fun fact, the most expensive thing on there and the hardest thing to price every year is the swans, which have a lot of restrictions to being bought and sold. So they're actually the priciest item of all of the sets of 12 items.
0: Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. How 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 do they price the uh the dancing the dancing figures again? The ones that, that that are not making it onto the index this year? Uh
1: I believe those are performance. So they're ticket prices to oh, see, see a performance of, of gotcha. dancing or leaping or musical. Um gotcha. Yeah.
0: Cool. Any other favorites to keep our eye out for?
1: Uh yeah, a couple more. Um the history of NORAD um, and the Santa Tracker is always an exciting one. Um, fairly well known. In 1955, um, Sears put an ad in a newspaper in Colorado Springs saying, if you call this number, you can talk to Santa directly. Um, the paper misprinted the phone number and actually put the private red phone line of NORAD, which is out in Colorado. And the story, the oral history, Um, from the colonel at the time who was overseeing the project. He recorded it before he passed away in 2009. Um, He talks about how at first he thought it was some kind of prank, and then um, the child child called, and he thought it was a prank, and then the mom got on the phone and was like, didn't you see the newspaper? This is a line to call Santa. And so he decided, because it was already printed, they couldn't undo it um, to embrace it, and he staffed the phones and said you know, here you're answering the phone, pretend to be Santa. And um, it turned into this iconic thing. And now NORAD is uh, absolutely involved every year. Department of Defense and NORAD um, set up a special phone line every year. Um, It is privately funded um, with corporate donations, anonymous corporate donations to maintain it and to cover the cost. So it's not incurred by the government, but Um, they oversee and they're the official Santa tracker. So you can, in the days ahead, you can look up on the website and see the projected path. And then Christmas Eve night, they have about 24 hours because Santa goes all the way around the world. You can call and find out where Santa's located and when he's going to be at your house. um, And they've just completely embraced it, which I think is a fascinating, a fascinating and really fun holiday story.
0: Yes, yeah, so I had forgotten that one. That one is amazing.
1: <laughs> um, one other one that we had a couple of years ago from 2017, um, ugly sweaters had become really popular, and I think still to this day are. Um, and Alaska Airlines took it one step further and announced that the week of Christmas, if you were wearing an ugly sweater, you got to board first, which I thought was just a really fun kind of promotional piece. Um, we've had several of those types of things. Different companies have done over the years, but that was one that I just thought was really funny. That if you wore an ugly sweater on the plane, you got to get on first.
0: Well, and maybe that's one of the uh, the few advantages of people not not traveling as much this holiday season, perhaps, as we will not have to see as many uh, as many ho- as many ugly sweaters. So exactly. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for jumping on and sharing some of your favorite little uh, golden nuggets, as we like to call them, uh, both from uh, this very strange year that we've had as well as uh, holidays past and present. And I just want to thank you because uh, we worked we work together for a long time and uh, you have been so diligent this year in just maintaining uh, along with uh, many of our colleagues, the COVID-19 corporate memory project. And uh, I really do, I'm very proud of that, that work uh, that, that the team has done, um, a little plug for History Factory uh, we did lots of amazing things this year, and, and we're, we've been shortlisted uh, uh, as one of the uh, uh, finalists for PR Week's Most Outstanding Non-Traditional Agency of the Year. And it's projects like the COVID-19 Corporate Memory Project and, of course, many of the projects that we've done uh, with our clients. Um, that you and the team have done this year that I think have have made us, uh, regardless of whether we ultimately, you know, win or not, uh, we've already kind of won in, in my book. And I just can't thank you enough for all the work that you and the team have done this year on maintaining that site. Um I think it's gonna be a really important historic document that folks are gonna look back on for years to come. So thank you. And uh, I'll see you uh, I'll see you at the virtual holiday party on Thursday, if not before
1: yeah thanks and happy holidays to everybody
0: happy holidays sarah thanks talk soon okay that's our episode thanks again to sarah egan senior curator of history Factory's covid19 corporate memory project and of course the curator of sarah's friday email This is our last episode of 2020, so happy holidays. Wishing everyone a safe and healthy and happy holiday season and happy new year. Thanks for listening to History Factory Plugged In. Be well, and we'll see you next year.